Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined again by the Reverend Dr. Anna Pinkney Strait. Hey, Anna. That is such a long name. <laughs> I love it. I just like it. And sometimes I don't even mean to say it, and it just happens. Oh, I'm sorry. And I, I was just going to say the Reverend, and then, but I could. I had to keep do the whole title. Yeah, or just Anna. Anna. Anna really works. Anna, just, but... just Anna. <laughs> Uh, happy probably Monday, August 15th, everyone. We're recording this a little bit early because I am going to drive a kitten to Florida. Um, elaborate. Uh, okay. As you, if you're a diehard podcast listener, I did try to give away kittens on the podcast. Shame, yes. Shamelessly um, a couple weeks ago. And uh, one of my wife's friends who used to live in New Bern, she actually, my wife texted her and said, hey, do you know anybody in New Bern that wants a kitten? Because we still have some. And she's like, well, no, but I want a kitten. <laughs> uh, and she lives in Florida. And I was actually heading to Florida to visit my family. And it's actually on the way. So I will be driving a very tiny um, tabby uh, girl kitten named Amelia um, on a, you know, probably a 12 hour drive. Um um, no offense, but shouldn't you be flying with a kitten named Amelia? Exactly, but she is fearless, so I'm sure she's going to have a great time. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to get into. We're gonna. I'm gonna. I can't do the whole day with her, so I'm gonna stop halfway. So that makes we'll sense. We'll be eating ice cream in a yeah. hotel room, probably. Well, I'm thinking. I know we're recording a little bit ahead, but this podcast will come out. I will be the mother of a college student. She will be in college when this is released. Do classes start, or she'll um, just be there? Classes start either the day this is released or the day after. I'm not totally sure. Dude, you need a kitten. <laughs> We have two cats. We're good. But it's back to school time. I mean, I know it feels like summer just got here, but it's back to school time. So we're really praying for teachers and for students. And we're doing something pretty special in worship on August 21st. We're doing a blessing of the backpacks. And so anyone who has a backpack, you can be going back to school. You can be a teacher. You could even be someone who has a job, but has a backpack and you can bring it and we're going to bless it and pray for God's blessings upon you in your learning, in your sharing, in your friendships, in all of it. I want to, I should bring my camera bag backpack. Absolutely. Bless those cameras. Absolutely. I mean, the idea is that, and I think we'll have some tags for the backpacks to remind you that you are loved. And so, um, so sort of thinking about it, it's back to school. And then a few weeks later, it'll be Sunday school time, but um, we're thinking about schools and teachers and parents and all of them. Cool. Well, uh, although we're thinking about the future, we're still in a summer sermon series. Yes. And uh, last week was about spit in the eye. Yes, Jesus spit in the eye. And this week is about mud and bad days. Very bad days. Jeremiah had a very, very bad day. Jeremiah was doing what he was supposed to do, which is telling people they were wrong and they were not behaving properly. And they didn't like hearing that. So they dumped him in a cistern that was empty and he sunk in the mud. Dude. Yeah, it's a bad day. That is a bad day. And he didn't know. Now, I've been in the mud. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. And one day I went canoeing with a friend and tide went out and we had to go through all this marsh and pluff mud to get back to the shore. And I mean, I sunk to my waist in pluff mud. Um, Fiddler crabs, um, not eating my toes, but definitely um, pinching on my toes. And you can't, you, you couldn't get out. Now, I'll say I I vividly remember that feeling. However, 
I had no, I mean, I knew I was going to get out. We had the canoe we were holding on to. I never felt at danger. They left Jeremiah there to die. I mean, they, um, he did not know what was going to happen. It was a very, very bad day. That is, you know, I was trying to think of bad days, but now that you bring up paddling, I've paddled a lot. <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot of paddling bad days and it, it really attributes to moving to the north, the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. and where the tides are much greater mm-hmm. than they are here. Um, the tides in Seattle and, and, and sort of the, the Puget Sound are eight feet twice a day. Wow. So they come up eight feet, they go down. And if you uh, I lived around the water, you know, if it's a shallow place that you're at, eight feet in a shallow area means it could be miles of low mm-hmm. tide and mud like you're talking. And I did the same thing where I paddled out and the tide went out and I had to, I, I was too shallow to paddle back. Um, the bad news for me, well, it was summer and, but even in the summer, yeah. the temperature of the water stays a nice, uh, in the forties usually in the wow. Puget Sound. So it was a little dangerous, but I was prepared. So um, I had boots and I had a actually had a dry suit on, which is like a full bodied kayaking thing. Uh, and I did have to walk in some really cold water, but mm. I was safe. Mom, it's okay. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. It was okay. <laughs> I'm back. Well, um, I will say that when we finally got up to the shore, my friend, um, his mother thought it was so funny. She went and got her camera. So um, yeah. So there are pictures of me in deep, deep mud. Yeah. So. And that was just like the time I learned too about tide and, mm-hmm. uh, but planning ahead, being prepared. Stuck in the mud, bad day. Yeah, so Jeremiah has a bad day. And um, and while none of us, I hope, really understand what Jeremiah was feeling, I think we all have a sense of what it's like when you're feeling discouraged and sad. Or, I mean, I, I've talked to people lately and it feels like there have been a lot of deaths or cancer diagnosis or, or you open up a newspaper. So I think there are people who understand what it can feel like when it's just a really bad day and how do we respond as people of faith? Well, um, yeah, we'll listen to the sermon and sort of try to figure that out for yourself. And um, we hope you have not a bad week. We hope you have a good week. Absolutely. But it is good that we are together, that we are here on the podcast, in person, on the video. I mean, I love the different ways we connect. So I'm grateful. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. And we'll be back uh, next week. And Anna's daughter will be in college. Yes. And and that will be a good day. I will miss her, but it's a good, good day. All right. Call me about the kittens. (laughs) Bye. Let us pray. God of all the years, God of laughter and tears, you have brought us to this moment. You have brought us this far, but we know that this is still a beginning point. As we listen for your word, help us to hear the word that you are speaking. Hearing it, help us to follow you. We ask it in your name. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Jeremiah, one of the passages about Jeremiah that is not included in the Revised Common Lectionary, which is our sermon series for this summer, telling some of the stories of the Bible that we don't normally hear. And so let us now listen from Jeremiah 38, the first 13 verses. Now Shaphatiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, Jukal, son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, son of Malkiah, 
heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. Thus says the Lord, those who stay in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But those who go out to the Chaldeans shall live. They shall have their lives as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be handed over to the army by the king of Babylon and be taken. Then the officials said to the king, this man ought to be put to death because he is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city and all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of the people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, here he is. He is in your hands, for the king is powerless against you. So they took Jeremiah and threw him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. Now there was no water in the cistern, only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. Ebedmelech the Ethiopian, a eunuch in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. The king happened to be sitting at the Benjamin gate, so Ebedmelech left the king's house and spoke to the king. My lord, king, these men have acted wickedly in all they did to the prophet Jeremiah by throwing him in the cistern to die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded Abedlamech the Ethiopian, take three men with you from here, pull the prophet Jeremiah up from the cistern before he dies. So Abedmelech took the men with him and went to the house of the king to a wardrobe of the storehouse and took from there old rags and worn out clothes, which he put let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Abedmelech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, just put the rags and clothes between your armpits and the ropes. Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up by the ropes and pulled him out of the cistern and Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The book of Jeremiah is 52 chapters of truth-telling and cajoling. Jeremiah working diligently to point out the errors of his people. And there were a lot of errors to point out. As Frederick Buechner has written, there was nothing in need of denunciation that Jeremiah didn't denounce. He denounced the king and the clergy. He denounced the rich for exploiting the poor, and he denounced the poor for deserving no better. He appeared with a clay pot, which he smashed into smithereens to show them what God planned to do to them as soon as he got around to it. He even denounced God himself for saddling him with the job of trying to reform such a pack of hyenas, degenerates, and ninnies. Jeremiah, this sixth or seventh BCE prophet who is explosive in his ministry. And it makes his call all the more noticeable because when he is called, it's worth noting that he is not loud, he is not shouting, when he is called, when Jeremiah is called by God, he is a boy who is unsure that he can even have a voice loud enough 
that can be heard. A boy who is called by God, by a knowing God, who says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I have consecrated you. I am with you. That's the Jeremiah who ends up in the cistern because he will not stop telling the truth, no matter who it offends, no matter who doesn't like it. He continues to speak God's truth. I don't know what Jeremiah had in mind for his life or what he expected his life would be like, but based on the way he responds when God asks him, when God calls him to be a prophet, I'm pretty sure that prophet wasn't on the top 10 list. It was an unexpected call for Jeremiah. God called Jeremiah to speak the truth, to tell the people where they had gone astray, to tell the people that they were going to be overtaken because of their faithlessness. And so Jeremiah became a shouter, a condemner. He smashed a pot, literally, to show the people what was going to happen to them. He screamed and he preached and he begged. He painted a vivid picture of what was ahead. He tried to get them to change their ways. But the people didn't listen. It didn't matter that he was right. They didn't listen. They didn't want to be saved. They didn't want to be told they were wrong. And they didn't take too kindly to him saying they weren't the best nation in the world. And that's when they throw him in a cistern that's full of mud and he sinks down. Being called by God to do something, particularly something as important as speaking the truth, can be messy, very messy. But today's portion of the text, where he is placed into the cistern, I think is a particular gift to anyone who has ever had a bad day, a bad month, a bad year, when things just went horribly wrong, not how you wanted them to go, not even close. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're having a bad day and you can relate to Jeremiah, what it must have felt like to be dumped into the cistern for doing nothing less than what God has asked you to do. And you feel like you've been dumped in the mud and you aren't sure what's next. If it's not you today, I'm sure you know somebody who's having one of those moments. I'm sure you might be able to remember one of those times from your own life when things just seemed to fall apart. So you had a bad day. How do we respond to that? What as people of faith are we to do when things seem horribly wrong, when the diagnosis comes in and it's not what we thought it would be, when we get news that is a shock and our hearts are broken? What do we do? when we feel like we're in the pit or someone we love is there? Well, the first thing we do is we don't ignore. We don't ignore that the pit is there. We don't ignore that that mud is deep and it's not pleasant at all. As we've been reminded so many times, we need to learn how to speak our sorrows, acknowledge our fears. It had to be pretty miserable in that pit. Where do we do that? Well, church is a pretty good place for that. I can't tell you how many people across the years have apologized for crying in worship. And what I want them always to know is that this is exactly where you should cry. This is a place where you can bring your tears, just as it is a place to bring your joy. It's a place where you can weep. 
makes me love the words of Professor Mallory McDuff all the more. She wrote an article a few years ago about why tears belong in church. She writes about a recent experience when she was in church, and she said, throughout the service, tears welled in my eyes as if I had been holding back grief for weeks, waiting for this opening, this invitation. I felt like the entire congregation was holding our collective vulnerabilities before something larger than ourselves. But what was I grieving, she wrote, and why was church such a safe place for me to cry? She said, skeptics might say that a woman of a certain age, as I am, a woman with a teenage daughter, well, I'm apt to cry at the slightest provocation, which may be true. I can second that. But I believe, she writes, something different happens when we expose our vulnerabilities to a community of faith. A close friend told me, she writes, of her theory that we are being seasoned in church each week, preparing to be broken open in ways we cannot anticipate. So we pray the liturgy, we sing the hymns, we go through the motions. Yet this seasoning of our spirits prepares us to be tender-hearted, open to prayer working on us. And she says, this makes sense to me. There are so few places where we can bring our raw emotions without a self-conscious need to explain or escape to the nearest bathroom, which happens when we get teary-eyed at work or in line at Home Depot. And she says, perhaps church is one of those last safe havens where we can cry for no reason or for many reasons. When we are in the cistern, when we are knee-deep in the mud, or someone we love is there, the first thing we can do is to acknowledge that that pit is a terrible place to be, that something really as hard is happening. We shouldn't ever try and gloss over that or pretend it's not there. But alongside with that, Alongside of that, we need to acknowledge that that pit, that cistern, is not all that there is. For Jeremiah is many chapters, and the cistern is just one of them. And Jeremiah knows that. Jeremiah preaches that, for not only does he tell the people what is going to happen, he tells them what will happen after that, and that there are still days to come. Jeremiah not only told those difficult truths to the people of God, he told them that God's love would never fully go away, that they would be changed, but that they would still have a home, a home to which they could return. Maybe not in the way that they wanted, maybe not with the timeline that they wanted, maybe not the way they imagined, but that there would still be a way for them, a faithful way. It reminds me of a story told by a minister in Texas by the name of Michael Geigner. He wrote, I ordered butterflies for a special release during Central's outdoor Easter celebration yesterday. Butterflies, he says, have long been a Christian symbol of new life and transformation, and I thought that would make for the perfect resurrection illustration. So good, right? He said the ordering, the delivery process was pretty straightforward. The butterflies are carefully overnighted to you the day before your event, and you just need to keep them cool and comfortable and healthy. But unfortunately, when I ordered them, the company forgot to request a Saturday delivery. And so overnight on a Friday meant that the butterflies weren't scheduled to arrive until Monday, the day after Easter. He said, cool, 
cool. That wasn't what threw me. It was no big deal to tweak my sermon. Flexibility is one of the things we value in church after all. He said, but then I began to think about it and I realized that it didn't just change my schedule, that the butterflies were not going to survive. And I couldn't quite shake the sad thought of all those butterflies dying in a box at a UPS distribution center because of a labeling mistake. He said, I couldn't shake it. And so when the UPS driver rang my doorbell on Monday morning, my heart didn't jump, it dropped. There was now, he said, a box full of murdered butterflies on my doorstep. He says, my inner anxiety and self-talk had increased the severity of what was happening. So no longer were these butterflies just dead. He said, I now labeled them as murdered and I was sure PETA had already been notified. He said, it got worse. I remembered that I had requested that each butterfly be individually wrapped so that each person at our service could open a little package and release a butterfly. And that meant I had the task on Monday morning of exhuming hundreds of little butterfly graves for myself. And I didn't expect any survivors. So he said, I carefully opened the first butterfly container. The small painted lady lay there with its wings folded upright, unmoving. It was a dull gray color, not the orange and black I had been expecting. He said, I set the container down in front of me and went to grab the next one. And as I began to open the second package, the first painted lady slowly began to stretch her wings, revealing the gorgeous, rich orange and black coloring I had been expecting, but had been covered up. She took a few minutes and then she flew away. I was shocked, but then I saw that the next one did the same thing, and then the next one, and then the one after that. And then I finally realized they were not dead. They had not been murdered. They were alive. And not just one, every single one. And he said, suddenly my backyard was filled with a couple of hundred butterflies flitting and flickering about. He said, for so many of us, this past year has felt like a box of dead butterflies. Maybe I would add something like being planted in a cistern and not knowing when or if a rescue will happen. If that's again not you right now, I suspect you remember a time when it was or you know somebody who was there. And we know, we know what it is like for our souls to become like a box of dead butterflies, to be unsure of what is next, and to feel like the grief and the despair and the hopelessness have just taken up permanent residence in our spirit. Jeremiah reminds us that tomorrow is destined to be different from today. And that our God is a God who says, you didn't see this coming. You thought the butterflies were going to be dead. You didn't see this coming. With me, all things are possible. Now, things didn't happen the way this minister wanted them to. The butterflies didn't arrive for the moment he wanted on Easter morning with his congregation. It wasn't the vision that he had, but it was the vision he was giving for what could be. And it was a vision for life and hope that just 24 hours before he did not believe was possible. And so it is for Jeremiah. So it is for us, a prophet whose life was no doubt not at all what he expected, but a prophet who was faithful to God, even when he was angry at God, and a prophet who knew God's grace. 
May it be the same for us, friends. May it be the same for us that in all moments we know that this is not all there is, that there is more, that the story is not over yet. As we say on Easter, we believe in resurrection because we know that the worst thing is never the last thing. So let us hear these words from Jeremiah, also from Jeremiah. See, I am going to bring them from the lands of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together. A great company shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. May that be our vision too. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Amen. As we leave this place, know that wherever you go, whatever you do, you are God's beloved child. So go. Let us go where there is ignorance. Go where there is need. Go where there is danger. Go where there is narrowness. Go where there is fear. May we go in courage and go in doubt. Go in the wisdom of knowing and the wisdom of not knowing. Go in strength and in the strength of weakness. Go in the joy that overcomes sorrow and in the love that casts out fear. And may the love of God Almighty be with us now and always. Alleluia, amen. <laughs>